This is Neil Erwitz. I'm the Director of External Relations here at the Center for a New American Security. And I'm here today with Chris Kalenda, a CNAS uh, adjunct senior fellow who served four tours of duty in Afghanistan, both as a commander and as a senior advisor to three commanding generals. Chris, thanks, uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, Chris has just written a new report for CNAS on Afghanistan called Focused Engagement, uh, A New Way Forward in Afghanistan. Um, so Chris, we're now uh, over 16 years into this mission. Um, at this point, what does success even look like? Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Neil and, and CNAS for, for having me on here and for supporting the, the report. So success in Afghanistan looks like uh, terrorists are unable to establish a safe haven from which to conduct, plan and conduct large-scale attacks against the United States and our allies. So that's what success looks like. In, in terms of how... So can I break in for a second? So that means we've given, kind of given up on the stable, large democracy that we were all hoping for in the beginning? Well, you've got to distinguish between what's the most desirable outcome and what outcome is realistic. So the most desirable outcome is that the Taliban are eliminated uh, and, <laughs> and, and there's no more conflict. The most realistic outcome is that they're not going to be eliminated. And the only way that you're going to get to a favorable and durable outcome in this conflict is through a very deliberate, very long-term peace process that may take 10 to 15 years or so to unfold. So we'll have been there for a grand total of 30 years? Well, we'll see how long we're going to be there. But one of the most important things that we can do right now, if we want to bring about a negotiated outcome, is we have got to stabilize our troop presence and essentially say, look, we're going to be in Afghanistan as long as the Afghan government wants us there. Now, as a part of a peace process, at some point in time, there may be agreements that international forces leave and maybe get replaced by UN peacekeeping forces. Uh, so it won't necessarily be our forces there the entire time, conceivably. But certainly, I think we need to plan for strategic patience, plan for being there in the long haul, and, and stop looking for the sort of short-term game changers that are just not out there and that sort of plagued the Obama administration, some rushes to failure that they had. So other than avoiding these sorts of rushes to failures, as you say, how do we get to this sort of successful, sustained, focused engagement? Well, we've, we've really got to focus on three objectives. The first one is what I call stabilize the battlefield. Right now, the you have a stalemate, but it's an unstable stalemate in that the Taliban continue making gains. Now, they're not going to be able to overthrow the Afghan government. The Afghan government's not going to be able to eradicate or eliminate the Taliban. So most likely you're going to have some sort of negotiated outcome. And you want those negotiations to happen when the Afghan government is in a position of advantage. The Taliban are not going to enter in any sort of peace process until they are unable to make any more military gains because military gains are leverage. So the first thing we got to do is stabilize the battlefield. Part of that is an enduring commitment on our part, but, but equally, if not more important, is we've got to, for the first time, develop a U.S.-Afghanistan strategy for how to mm -hmm. uh, succeed in this war. And we have got to apply much more hard-nosed and aggressive conditionality for political and security sector reform. The Afghan government is not winning the battle of legitimacy in Taliban-controlled and contested areas. Uh, and part of it, or a large part of it, has to do with 
uh, problems with corruption, problems with bad governance, and as long as those continue, you're not going to have a stable battlefield. Is it a matter of will or, or capability? Well, it's it's more will than capability. The problem in Afghanistan is, is the government developed into a kleptocracy over time, and you've got some very powerful, very, very well-armed warlords who are fully invested in this kleptocracy. And so any reform that President uh, Ashraf Ghani wants to make, or chief executive wants to make, uh, they get blocked by these very powerful people who uh, can also foment significant violence. So we have to do a much better job of coordinating um, our efforts on managing these kind of spoilers and blockers and, and inflicting some very painful penalties when those kind of things occur. Uh, so the second pillar is regional diplomacy. Yeah. Uh, we have been trying for 16 years to figure out how to finesse uh, some sort of regional arrangement where all actors are happy. All of Afghanistan's neighbors are happy. And it's just not realistic. The uh, competition between Pakistan and India, between Pakistan and Iran, uh, and Afghanistan caught in the middle of it just, just it's zero-sum politics, and it doesn't lend itself to this sort of win-win-win-win situation. So instead of trying to make everybody happy, uh, one of the things that this report advocates is, is work with Afghanistan to, to declare themselves militarily and diplomatically neutral. The United States backs that up, and the United States gets other regional actors to make declarations of non-interference in, in Afghan affairs. And you've got to have a process that manages that and inflicts appropriate sanctions when, uh, when those uh, violations occur. And at the same time, we've got to add some dignity to our approach towards Pakistan. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we pay them $742 million per year. We declare them a major non-NATO ally. And yet they're supporting insurgent groups that kill American soldiers and Afghan soldiers and civilians. So we, we've got to stop that sort of madness. We're not going to compel Pakistan to turn against the Afghan Taliban, but we shouldn't be subsidizing them. We shouldn't declare them a major non-NATO ally until that kind of behavior changes. Now, at the same time, we have to recognize that they do fear Afghanistan becoming a client state of India and India using that to dismantle Pakistan. So this idea of essentially putting Afghanistan off limits as a neutral country and that neutrality backed by the United States is uh, a way that gives Pakistan potentially some reassurance that they're not gonna get dismantled. Uh, and at the same time, there ought to be some sort of peace dividend as well where Pakistan gets some benefit when the outcome in Afghanistan uh, is is finally reached. The third point is we've got to begin the building the foundations for a peace process in Afghanistan that's probably going to require 10 to 15 years to unfold. And so you've got to lay the foundations for that now. You probably need to get a third-party facilitator who's viewed as credible by both the Afghan government and the Taliban. And Such then, as? I think that there's got to be a lot of a lot of, <laughs> a lot, uh, of a lot of work on that, uh, a lot of research on that. Uh, the answer is probably not obvious, I think, <laughs> at this point. But that third-party facilitator, you'll really need to begin building these foundations for a process that's going to have to have local dimensions because you got localized conflicts. 
national dimensions and international or regional dimensions. Uh, let me move it to uh, kind of the American domestic scene. Um, Americans seem to have forgotten about this war. Uh, it didn't come up, to the best of my knowledge, at all during the campaign. It definitely didn't come up during the presidential debates. Um, would America paying more attention to this war be beneficial? And if so, what should average Americans be doing? Or is the war effort best served by Americans paying attention to other things? I think it's always important for the American public to understand what's going on in a, in, a, in a war, especially when we're putting our young people in harm's way mm -hmm. uh, and people are making uh, the sacrifices that have been made in this, in this kind of conflict. I think it's important that our national leadership keep our conflicts in the national conversation. Mm -hmm. First of all, to uh, build public support for the war. Uh, second of all, to respect the service and sacrifices that, uh, that, that soldiers and diplomats and people who are serving in harm's way are making. But third also, I think the, the more the public is informed, the less you get, the more realistic people become. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now, no, people don't know much about Afghanistan. And so you'll get questions like, well, why don't we just win? Yeah. Or when can we just leave? Yeah. And, and so those, you get those kind of questions and you get those sort of expectations when people just simply aren't engaged in, in, in the issue at all. And, and I think the worst possible scenario is that we keep sending people in harm's way. People keep making uh, the kind of sacrifices and, and nobody seems to give a darn. And we keep making since there's no pressure, we just keep make this, making the same mistake over and over again? Yeah, that's right. It's the sort of definition of insanity. You do the same <laughs> thing over and over again, you hope uh, eventually it works out, and it just doesn't. So I think the, the nice thing about this report is it is a fundamentally different strategy that puts the political and diplomatic elements of national power at the forefront rather than the military element. It focuses on what is a realistic outcome, and, and it's quite frankly very, very simple, uh, very achievable, and and also critically important for our national interests. Terrific, thank you, Chris. Um, we're going to be obviously talking about Afghanistan for many years to come. Um, CNAS adjunct senior fellow uh, Chris Kalenda. Uh, has just written um, a new report, Focused Engagement, A New Way Forward in Afghanistan. It's available at www.cnas.org.